0: And welcome to the Clever Hybrids Podcast. Every season, we interview 12 bilingual professionals from around the world to hear their tips and to help you thrive in this multi dimensional world. Let's jump right into the episode. I'm here with Antonio, one of the top divisional sales managers for Classco. Clasco is a food manufacturer based in Mexico that sells popular seasonings like chilito, candies and drink products with all natural ingredients and many other things. Antonio has worked with Clas in the US and Mexico for almost 10 years, but he's been in the industry for almost 13 years. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia in the US with his wife and children, but is originally from Mexico. He's one of the calmest people I know. He's also a Clever Hybrid. Antonio, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you, Gavin. It's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, I was glad when you accepted my invite. wanted to talk to you first, like many of our guests, you didn't originally start in sales, the field you're in now. You, you actually studied IT and engineering. So how did you get into sales?
1: Yes, I started my professional career in the IT uh, department in a supermarket chain back in Mexico. But what I really wanted to do is to be in a position where I can take important decisions about the whole business and being able to create or help to create the strategy for the whole business, especially a commercial strategy. And... That side of the business for me was the most important and and I soon realized that I needed to have a solid sales or a background to reach that position. So after that job I went to work for PepsiCo, not in charge of a sales team at all or anything like that, but I started working in the, in the sales department, with the sales managers and with the sales director. And that really helped me to understand a lot about sales management. So after PepsiCo, the class company was the company that gave me that opportunity to oversee a sales team and being responsible for operations in a territory in Mexico. And I'm still in this company, but now here in the U.S.
0: Wow, that's really cool. So you were working with Pepsi, which is a really large worldwide company, but you decided to join Class, which is also a large company, but much smaller than Pepsi. What were the factors behind that decision?
1: You know, it was a difficult period working for Pepsi, actually. They changed the administration completely, uh, and I saw a lot of instability there at that moment. But really, I think it was a period of a lot of learning. Teams were getting smaller and smaller, and their responsibilities for the people that stays uh, growing, role. I-, I knew I needed to make a move. Class offered me the opportunity in the sales department that I was looking for. So it was not—it was really not a difficult decision to make.
0: After you switched to Class, then. How did you get transferred to the U.S.? What was that process like?
1: Well, basically, it was because I had a great results working for class in Mexico. But really, I was working in a small territory for the Mexican market. So I understood that I, if I wanted to climb in the organizational chart, I, I needed to make a move. I relocated myself to a big city in Mexico. Coming from a small town was not really appealing to me or my family. And and at that moment they had some new managerial positions opening in the U.S. I ended up with one of those. So I was transferred to, to Seattle at the beginning and you know I loved it. I love the U.S. and the, the places that I've lived here. It's been great.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a nice opportunity. What was the, the biggest culture shock when you moved?
1: You know, I was born in Mexico, but very close to the U.S.-Mexico border. So really, the English the language, it's been part of my life since I was very young. The language could be the biggest shock at the beginning, but I really had a, a good level of English to begin with. So to me, the, the biggest shock uh, really is the cost of living essential things uh, in life are very expensive here. Because of my job, I have to sell a food product mostly to the Hispanic market. And our main clients are Mexicans and Central Americans, but Mexicans are more concentrated in the West Coast and Central region, like Texas or or, or Chicago. Here in the East Coast, you have a, a lot of Cubans in Florida, for example, or, or Puerto Ricans in New York, and a, a lot of Caribbeans in general. And the Latinos from different countries have different habits and eat different foods. I had to learn that to be able to sell my products, what they eat, how they eat it, where they buy it, and what motivates them to purchase product are different
0: That's a good strategy. Is that part of what you do when you move to a new region to find out what are the best opportunities to grow?
1: Probably the most important thing you have to do is to understand your uh, shopper habits, right? And from this create the exhibition and distribution strategy you, you need for that new territory. Get to know the key players in this new place and start building rapport with these new players. I think that's the key.
0: In the average grocery store, there's thousands of products. How do you grow your market share in a situation like that?
1: Well, I believe that there are many things that Have uh, already been established for a long time, but at no time a company can stop creating or evolving and being aware of uh, the new trends. For example, we are in the powder drink mixes category, but the new trend could be moving away from the powder drinks to the ready-to-drink category. Uh, There is a healthy food trend, too. And and you have to be able to be flexible in your operation to adjust quickly when necessary. And I think it is very important to be fast and flexible to be able to attack both market opportunities and threats.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. With this industry too, just like most industries, there's a busy season and a slow season. So. How do you keep relationships with distributors and stores strong during the slow season?
1: Seasonal products in general are a difficult sell because distributors want to end the the season with zero seasonal inventory. You don't want to overstock any client with seasonal products. We have to be very responsible. And in class, we... We do have a high season, but even during the slow season we we have a lot to do. We keep selling, but at a, a lower pace and and also planning for the next high season. During the the slow season we are informing our clients of the new plans and having business reviews and and basically putting everything in place for the next high season. We keep them busy so they have us in, in mind uh, the whole time. During the slow season, I like to schedule a lot of, of business reviews with them. I'm able to not only see them in, in person, but I can show them the new plans, new products. If I have uh, samples of these new products, I can take them with me and start doing the, all the paperwork for setting up the new items and all that stuff. Uh, a good presentation, it helps you a lot in the future.
0: Wow. That's a good idea. I'm going to try that. <laughs> With the recent political events and also coronavirus, it's gotten a lot harder to import goods into the U.S. So how do you think that's affecting companies planning for the future?
1: Well, yes, it is a a big problem for importing goods. And the way every company reacts to market instability is increasing inventory here and cutting costs everywhere else, including payroll. That is what I I see everybody is doing right now, cutting costs to prevent any major change. It really creates a a mess in the plans you had. You never plan to have a political event that changed the, the, the way that you do business.
0: The food industry as a whole has really changed. And in one of your articles on LinkedIn about the restaurant industry in particular, which helped edit, you mentioned it's a whole new battlefield. And for many, this will be the most important lesson of the COVID-19 pandemic. You mentioned a few changes already, but could you explain what other changes you've seen in the industry?
1: Yeah, oh my God, it's been a very difficult year for restaurants, right? And a learning experience, really. All those restaurants owners that used to have dining only had to learn a lot about the takeout and delivery part of the business and, and learn fast. It changed dramatically from one day to the other. And, and they also needed to be more creative with new promotions or, and ways of advertising. It is very different from now on because that trend is it is going to the e-commerce, right? So you have to learn to, as a restaurant uh, owner, to work with those new apps like Uber Eats and DoorDash and... It's a learning experience for for all the restaurant owners. That's
0: true. I think a lot of people in general are more trying things, learning as they go or OJT on the job training because they have to, they have no choice.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The way they have their business for many, many years of the establishment, those has to change. You are looking to be more flexible and cutting costs. But if you are stuck with one of those long agreements with your landlord or something, it's, it's difficult.
0: That's true. What do you think restaurants could do with all that extra space that they have now?
1: Well, I think they have to strengthen their takeout and delivery, the curbside, all that stuff. They have to strengthen that part of the business. And that can take some of the space. And that takes a larger space for the kitchen and and all the people behind the counter. For sure, they have to be more flexible in in all their operations. Some of the positions they have, like a host they, they don't need a host now. And the servers, they probably don't need that many servers now. They don't need to fire them, probably. They need to relocate them in a different position. Being able to be a server and, and work in the kitchen at the same time. Something like that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That's a good way to use the people you already have so you don't have to retrain. One of your biggest markets in your, your region with classes is, is New York City. So we're seeing in the news that the COVID-19 pandemic was really crazy there. Has that affected any of your relationships with the markets there? How has it affected sales?
1: It has been a very, very difficult time, especially during March and, and April, because some of our distributors had to temporarily shut down operations. But in the other hand, it is a good opportunity to learn new things too, for example, you understand that you have to start creating more robust strategy for the online channel too. This is a, a good example of this new reality. In new York everything hits harder. There are a lot of people there, a lot of business, there is a huge market And when something hit there, it's very difficult to avoid that hit. I guess it it is like everything. It is a learning experience and many companies have to strengthen their online channel. We didn't have that. So so we started working on it. And I know it's a long way to finally have a good chunk of the online business, but you have to start.
0: Yeah, that's true. So... Now the class is working on it. Do they have the site up and running or it's still in development?
1: We already started with one of those online stores for our products. And the company understood very well that e-commerce is a reality, even for groceries. We already shipped to different places our product in a small amounts. It's a first step that is not easy, but you have to do it.
0: Yeah, that's a nice pivot. What's the page address I can add it to the notes later, too?
1: It is glasstime.com.
0: Okay. So I want to check that out, too, because I really need some horchata.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I didn't know that you knew about it.
0: Yeah, I need some horchata, and I've been missing it, so I need to get some.
1: Do you, do you visit any like Mexican restaurant or something over there in Germany?
0: There are a few, but the, there's a difference between the Tex-Mex here and where there are more Mexicans. There are Mexicans here in Germany because there's Latinos everywhere. But I don't know. I, it's a little bit different over here. So I, I've been having a hard time finding my Central American stuff. I miss it. So I have to get some horchata, masa, and maybe I have to find somewhere to get some pupusa recipes too. We'll see.
1: (laughs) Yes, pupusas are more like Salvatore, right?
0: Yeah, and I love them. Not the La Rocco ones, but the other ones. (laughs) (laughs) So I will definitely check that out. But I wanted to ask you too. On LinkedIn, it seems like almost every week you put in your post, I finished reading this book. How do you read so much? How do you make time for it?
1: You know, I do read a lot. And at the same time, I don't read, read because I listen to a lot of ebooks because of my uh, job. I travel a lot and, and I spend time driving. Or in a plane, so instead of listening to music, I, I use that time to listen to an ebook and I enjoy doing that a lot. It, it helps me in, in general with what what I do for a living. I, 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 I read a lot of different topics, not only about business. You have better conversations when you know about many other different topics.
0: Yeah, that's true. I I saw a post the other day from a friend of mine who's working in i think eastern europe and she was saying people try and tell you just focus on your industry but that doesn't really work in the world we're living in now because you have to be well-rounded bring all of yourself to the table right steve jobs even though he was really into tech he also was really into design so a lot of the design we have even some that microsoft stole. Makes our user experience much better because he had other interests.
1: Exactly. And, and you know what? Ebooks was a, a game changer for me because I can also be more productive with that. When I used to read a hard copy book, I used to read like maybe three a year. With ebooks, two or three every month, I end up reading like 30 or something like that every year. So it was a game changer for me. But I understand that not everyone can do it. Some people told me that they don't enjoy it. Listening is not the same thing for them, like reading a book. But for me, it works.
0: Okay, that's really cool. 30 in a year. I think for me too, listening is hard, but I've have been doing much more ebooks than hard copies on my Kindle. So that helps me. Everybody has their thing.
1: Yeah, but the thing is that I wanted something that helps me when I'm driving. I can I hold a book or a Kindle. And I travel a lot. I drive a lot. I try to use that time that I'm driving doing something more productive than just listening to music.
0: Yeah, Mataro dos Pajaros. Very good. <laughs> what else do you do for your personal development besides reading?
1: I try to enroll in courses that help me in my professional and personal development, such as the one I took with you to improve my business English. There are also many free options online about many other topics, but I think it is always better to learn from an advisor like you, and and right now, uh, I would like to learn more about the stock market and how to participate in in it, for example, I'm wanting to to look for advice and not only reading, because I read a lot of financial books, but I still have a lot of doubts and and questions, so so sometimes you have to look for advice. I always thought that, that I learned more from talking to another person it, it, it is more productive than just reading books so i want to do it the right way and to me the way that i feel like i learn more or better it, it is with a physical person and you know what uh, it, it's not that it has to be with me physically because we can use like like these platforms and it can be in the other uh, side of the world like you and talk in real time that works much, much better than just reading because you will always have questions about it, you know. And also, when you put your money into it, you know that you have to use that time and try to squeeze the best out of your own money and resources. I don't know if everybody thinks that way, but that's the way i think. thinking. There are also many free options online. But you end up with some questions that you have to keep looking to solve them.
0: I would agree with you on that, too. Maybe you spend a little bit more at the beginning, but you get more out of it when you have an advisor. With being bilingual, you said you grew up around English, even though you lived in Mexico. So when would you say you called yourself bilingual?
1: It is when you have the confidence to initiate a conversation in the other language and obviously being able to maintain that conversation. You have to go step by step. In, in my case, uh, I learned to listen first and understand almost everything. Then I thought like it's time to let go and talk and, and lose the fears of making mistakes and finally, learn to write. And it is very important professionally. It is a process, and, and when you go through that process and you do it well enough in the other language, I think that is when you are bilingual. In my case, it didn't happen until maybe when I was 20 years old. You think you know, but when you are in front of an English-only speaker, it is difficult to overcome that fear.
0: How do you use English and Spanish now for for business and your everyday life?
1: Well, I, I use both a lot because of my job. I represent a Hispanic company in the U.S. And many of my clients speak Spanish, but some speak only English, and I like that because I practice my English with them. And I live in a community full of immigrants, mostly from Asia, and, and English is the way we can communicate with each other. So that's the way you can communicate with other immigrants that are not Hispanics and with Americans. They don't speak Spanish. My kids, I, I'm struggling to make them speak Spanish because they are used to only English. Here, But here in home, we, we communicate only in Spanish. I can speak Spanish to them and they answer me back in English. That's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> At least I know that they understand me.
0: <laughs> That's the important part. Everyone, this is Antonio Castro Ruiz. And Antonio, could you tell everyone how they could get in touch with you if they have anything they want to talk to you about?
1: Of course, they can find me on the LinkedIn app as Antonio Castro Ruiz. They can also find me on my email. My email is antoniocastroruiz at gmail.com. So I'll be happy to, to see you guys there.
0: Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate
1: it. Thank you, Gabby.